electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. And welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Frank Holland in for the Judge Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the next catalyst for stocks. Companies are set to return a record amount of cash to shareholders. We're going to debate that with the investment committee. Joining me now for the hour are the lovely and talented Carrie Firestone, the CEO of Arius Asset Management, Jim Liebenthal, Farmer Jim, Steve Weiss, no nickname needed, and downtown Josh Brown. Let's check the markets first. Financials are one of the best performing sectors today. Banks are all higher ahead of those stress test results where the focus will be on how much capital they'll be able to return. Those results coming out at 4.30 this afternoon. Josh, why don't we start off with you? Um, I know you're very bullish on the buybacks right now at a record year to date, over uh, half a trillion dollars in buybacks, either authorized or announced. And you uh, are a holder of J.P. Morgan. I am. I think uh, probably most of the growth in in both buybacks and dividends is really going to come from a small group of sectors uh, and financials are in both categories. You'll see hikes in dividend rates and you'll see hikes, I think substantial hikes in some cases, in the rate of buybacks. The number this year, just to give people some context, so far this year we have $560 billion worth of buybacks authorized for the S&P 500. That number can go up over $700 billion in authorizations. And authorization doesn't guarantee that 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 dollar amount of shares are bought back. It's kind of like the upper end of the range, but companies don't just make these numbers up from the sky. They have return expectations that are coming from the shareholders. So I think it's going to be a great year for companies uh, when you think about total shareholder return, not overly focused just on dividends or just on buybacks, but that combination. And then you pair that with the fact that companies are growing their earnings at a rapid clip, and it gives you a good idea as to why the S&P 500 is off to a 15% start uh, year-to-date in 2021, with a lot of positive catalysts uh, still ahead. All right, Wise, turning to you, you own Bank of America, Goldman, and the XLF. Um, Do you see these buybacks as a catalyst as well, and and how much of a run will these do uh, create for the financials? I do see a slight catalyst, but it's no secret. We keep seeing these stress tests, and they come out, and they say, okay, we're going to buy back stock, because don't forget, their governors put on them a few years ago, and now they're catching up to it. From my standpoint, I think buybacks are great. Dividends I'm less enamored with, because I'd rather see it go into investments in the company. And I actually think that's what you're going to see. But to Josh's point, this is one of the reasons why the market's up 15% because it's an expression of the confidence of the board and the management team that things are getting better. So to me, that's one of the more bullish signals you can have. But I'd love to see additional CapEx, which we haven't seen in really a very long time. Talking about momentous CapEx. And I'd like to see more M&A. And I believe we will. All right, Jim, you hold Citigroup and Goldman Sachs. 
What's your take on these buybacks? Are they a catalyst or do you agree more with Weiss that they're a slight catalyst, a slight tailwind? Yeah, Frank, I think I'd qualify them more as support than a catalyst. But if you take a look at a stock like Citigroup, for me, the buybacks present the best of both worlds because as they buy back shares, they're buying them back below book value, which means they're immediately accretive to the balance sheet. And Citigroup really buys back shares. In the last expansion, there were years where they shrunk their share count by 10% year over year, which means my ownership in the earnings stream is getting concentrated. Now, if that isn't a catalyst, if it doesn't move the stocks higher, that's okay because they're buying back more shares at these lower uh, accretive to balance sheet prices. And if it does move the, move the shares higher, that's what I mean by the best of both worlds. You can't do that unless you're generating cash flow, which companies like Citigroup and Goldman Sachs are. Kerry, any last thoughts? I know you don't own any of the banks, but any thoughts about whether this is a catalyst, slight tailwind, or are you more on the Weiss and Jim camp? Charles Schwab is a bank, but I don't own any of the big banks. I would say that over the last 25 years, we have repurchased half of the shares that were available to public shareholders. And that has been one of the key catalysts for the market moving higher for decades now. It's been, along with Fed uh, you know, keeping interest rates down, one of the two key drivers many people have stated about the market. And so if it happens to the extent that people are now describing as a positive for financials, technology, other companies that have free cash, I think, of course, it's a positive for stocks. All right. Uh, important to note today, ahead of the stress test, Wells Fargo, the best performer in financials, up almost 2.5%. Also, the best performer year-to-date, up over 48%. So while Goldman is focusing on Apple's capital return program, Morgan Stanley's Katie Huberty, she's raising her price target slightly and saying that investor concerns about the upcoming iPhone S cycle overblown. Everybody here on the desk owns it. Carrie, we're going to go back over to you. What do you think about this take here from Katie Huberty? Yeah, well, I think that she's saying it at the right time. You know, Apple has been an underperformer. If you go back to September 2nd of 2020, the stock is essentially flat since then. It's just started to make a return on the upside. If you look at the momentum in the chart in the past couple of weeks, Apple's moving higher. China's opened, Europe's opening, the United States is open, that's good for retail sales, and it starts to build up momentum and enthusiasm for the product. We think it's part of a, a trade that's happening across the board in the market where we're moving from the reopening and cyclical trade back into large cap growth, large tech, and Apple as the biggest factor in the S&P certainly is, is, I would say, a poster child for, for big cap tech. So I, I think she's right here. Jim, turning to you, you're looking at the price of 135 as being very key for Apple going forward. Um, why do you say that? And with people going back to school and going back to work, isn't that potentially the start of a super cycle for this company? Uh, so there's, there's two things you're talking about there. One is the fundamental picture and the other is the technical picture. The technical picture is just pretty easy to see that if it breaks above 135, then you have, since January, a series of higher highs and higher lows. But you need to get over that 135 hurdle that was the high from April. Um, what is more important to me is the fundamentals here. And, you know, again, I use the term best of both worlds in Citigroup. This is also the best of both worlds in that since the beginning of the year, the 
forward multiple has come down by 20%, while earnings estimates have gone up by 20% for, in part, the reasons you're talking about that maybe we're going into a super cycle here. Um, I happen to agree with the call, but the bigger picture being its shares have gotten cheaper while the fundamental business has gotten better. That's the best of both worlds. Give me that all day long. So, Weiss, what's your take on this? So I do own Apple. Uh, I was talking to a very uh, to an exec, very senior exec at one of the large, one of the big three telco companies, and they just don't see the iPhone growth continuing because it's been it's got to be driven at this point by new features. And what they've done for the new features recently is just improve the camera. That's always the thing. We're improving the camera. We'll improve the speed. But for 5G, you know, the consumer application's relatively muted right now. So. I look at the supply chain that goes into Apple, and I think Katie's call, and she takes a price target up and down, I think Katie's call is having a much larger impact on stocks that I favor, Qualcomm, uh, Skyworks. I mean, look at those today. And to me, that's where the alpha, where the performance is going to be generated. Even in Jim's uh, Qualcomm, which is lagging the two I mentioned, two I own naturally, but I think that's where you want to be rather than Apple. <laughs> Stay in Apple. It's did not you going buy, anywhere. Did you buy back Qualcomm yet? Have you bought back Qualcomm yet, Steve? Can you just get it over I've with? Actually I mean, we all know you're bit, going but, to. Just... But, <laughs> Jim, I put you in Qualcomm. Now I'm trying to put you in Corvo and Skyworks. Come on. Get on board. Josh Make some Brown. Money. Don't be afraid to, Good call. to out earn. Josh Brown, you're putting your hand over your face. It looks like you have something to say. Oh, no. I, I agree with most of what I heard. When, when uh, Farmer Jim starts talking technicals, I get those goosebumps, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy to hear it. I, I, I would just say that, historically, Apple has been a stock where you've been way better off not overthinking it. The kind of people who are doing, like, channel checks on Taiwanese suppliers don't make any money at all. I promise you. I know these people in real life. Um, the, the, the thing to keep focused on with Apple, and Jim made this point earlier, your share of the earnings grow as the company shrinks their float. I think they're going to have the fourth highest buyback um, in the S&P 500 this year. That should continue to grow over the years. They're generating more cash than, than they know what to do with. And then to Weiss's point, they are continuing to spend on things like R&D. Um, so you, you can really have your cake and eat it too. Dividend, buyback. Companies should generate over $110 billion in free cash flow this year. Think about the size and scale of that, how ridiculous that is. Uh, earnings are expected to grow uh, for the full year by over 50%, and it's the biggest company in the world. It's a $2.2 trillion market cap. So this is a miraculous company, unbelievable stock. Yes, it underperforms sometimes. Why wouldn't it? So does every other stock on earth. Don't overthink it. I think this could be 150 bucks with no sweat whatsoever. All right, Josh, to your point, Apple authorizing $90 billion in stock buybacks. All right, the other area within financials we're watching today is the fintech and the payment space. D.A. Davidson out with a bullish call on both PayPal and Square, initiating each with a buy rating and calling for more than a 10% upside. Carrie and Josh, you both own PayPal. Carrie, let's kick it off with you. Well, PayPal is one of our biggest holdings, and I mentioned it the other day as one of our top picks for the rest of the year. The acceleration that we've seen in adoption of payments such as PayPal and Venmo uh, didn't just go through COVID and stop. They're continuing at a rapid pace. They have 400 million active users right now. I mean, anyone who hadn't heard of Venmo was in a 
cave because <laughs> it's become a verb lately. And uh, I mean, I use it for, you know, to have my hair cut. So I, I think that it's important to see where the runway is for a company like PayPal. It's part of the big tech category. It's in the payment space, which we think is going to be one of the strongest for the rest of the year. That includes Visa and Square. American Express also is there. So we like the stock. We think it's a long runway. This, again, it underperformed for a bit. This year, when it wasn't a reopening play, it's starting to outperform again. And, you know, we, we like it. We like it very much. So, Josh, turn it over to you. Speaking of it as a reopening play, uh, obviously stimulus money was a big boost for both of these companies. A trillion dollars in stimulus being put into consumer pockets. Now that some of that money has been spent and will be spent on things like back-to-school spending, where you generally aren't going to use a cash app or a Venmo, are you concerned about the growth of these companies? No. You know, like six months ago, people were calling this a work-from-home stock, and I wanted to punch them in the face. It's just the way people spend money, whether they're home or not. Josh. This is, this is just an, this is the new reality. Like, what's wrong with you? It's not work-from-home. So I had to talk people out of that. I did my best on the air pretty much once a week. Um, PayPal is now bigger than most of the publicly traded banks, which makes sense because this is the future of financial services. They could layer on any other service they want. Company has 400 million active users. Process that number. I that's, just said that's that. 400 million. <laughs> and payment volume, payment volume is up 50 percent year over year. So it's actually accelerating uh, the amount of use. As the company gets bigger, that's almost impossible, but that's what's going on here. So this is easily a $300 stock very quickly. They're going to put through a pricing increase on their merchants on August 2nd. And I think when the street sees them able to do that and not lose any transaction volume, that's yet another catalyst that will propel the stock even higher. So I am long. I've been pounding my fist on the table with this name. Nothing has changed. I like it better than Square, although Square is good too. And I can't imagine a scenario where 400 million users on the platform and the ability to raise prices translates into a weak stock. All right, Farmer Jim, turn it over to you. DA Davidson with an 11% upside for PayPal, a 12% upside for Square. Do you see that same perspective and that same scenario unfolding? Yeah, I mean, for me, first off, Frank, I've got to put this into an analogy, right? I'm a batter facing a pitcher. The, the ball has hit the catcher's mitt. It's clearly a strike, and I didn't swing at it, okay? Ump is calling strike three, you're out. Catcher's throwing at the third base, and I'm hanging my head walking back to the dugout. These stocks have been home runs. I, you know, I'm continuing to watch them and looking for my entry price. I'm more comfortable right now with the money center banks, but I, I've got to admit, I watched that strike all the way into the catcher's mitt. All right, Wise, before we go, one more uh, uh, comment about this. You know, Cash App gets a lot of attention for Square, but its merchant business is growing. They also have an online store that a lot of people use for e-commerce. Do you still see this double-digit upside for both of these stocks? I do. Uh, and as to Jim's comment, uh, Jim can apply it to a lot of stocks that he's looking at, like the aforementioned Skyworks and Corvo. But away from that, look, I, I think that that D.A. Davidson is being too conservative. I buy into Josh's thesis, into Carrie's thesis, and I've missed these. It's almost like you're afraid to make money because the case is so obvious. So like Jim, I'm waiting for a pullback. I've had them. I've missed it. I put my money elsewhere. So don't cry a river for me. But. They're phenomenal stories, and they're just going to keep getting bigger. And that's the thing about these things. 
is that the better they do, the better they get. So, uh, so look, I, I'd fact. love to see him come yep. down. They're getting a little spicy on this Thursday, getting punches to the face and I told you so's left and right. Let's try to calm things down just a bit. Let's get to some committee moves. Weiss, speaking on, on uh, chips, let's stick with that theme. You actually just recently uh, bought Micron. Yeah, so Micron, uh, it's a great story. Uh, it always is, but it still trades like commodity, which it isn't, because you've narrowed the, the producers to three in the world. So pricing is much more rational. And with Micron also being a 5G play, I typically buy it at 80 and then trade it higher. That seems to be where support is over the last six months or so. They're going to report shortly, I believe next week. I look for an excellent quarter. If you look at our next year's earnings, you've got a stock that's selling it about 10 times, which relative to the other semis that I own is either a 50 to 100% discount. So I like Micron here. I think it's got legs. I think it'll keep moving higher. All right, interesting to note. Uh, chips you know a lot of supply chain issues we're going to talk more about supply chain coming up after the break but straight ahead the trade on housing home builder stocks pulling back recently after a big run-up over the last year the investment committee weighs in next and a reminder you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the cnbc app halftime back in two minutes Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. And welcome back to the Halftime Report. Let's get to CNBC's Diana Olick with a snapshot of what's happening with the home builders right now. Hey, Diana. Hey, Frank. Yeah, it's not just the KB earnings that's bringing the builders down. It's kind of a perfect storm today. First, we got Freddie Mac's weekly average on the 30-year fix at 10 a.m. It showed it nudging over 3% for the first time in 10 weeks. Now, other measures actually have it higher, but builder stocks always react to this weekly report. You see the home construction ETF tanked on that initially, but then did recover a bit. Then you had the May new home sales report out on Wednesday from the census showing the second straight month of declines to the slowest pace in a year and prices up 18 percent year over year as inventories are still far lower than demand. Then, of course, we got KB Home late yesterday, beat on earnings but missed on revenue. Really, it was the guidance that may be taking the stock down. Q3 came in lower than expected, although full-year guidance was revised slightly higher. Still, the builder, like all the others, is raising prices and noted that continuing issues with tight labor and supply chain are a problem. Now, the builders have been a sweet spot throughout the pandemic as housing demand surged, but they started coming down in May after sales for both new and existing homes began to weaken due to sky high prices and, of course, 
mortgage rates, while still low, they do seem to be edging higher. Frank, back to you. All right, Diana, thanks a lot. Carrie and Jim, you both own Home Depot, which is basically a play on housing. Carrie, let's start with you. What do you make about these numbers? KB Homes taking that dip today. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm not uh, totally surprised. There's a shortage of lumber. There's a shortage of all sorts of uh, labor and building materials, and that's affecting how much is getting built. But there's a shortage of housing, and it, it's going to mean that we'll continue to see numbers that grow over the next year or so. With interest rates as low as they are, there's still a lot of demand for housing. We know that with Home Depot, that's uh, a big market for people in the construction in, in, uh, industry and contractors use it. So we continue to own it. We think that the numbers will go higher. Yes, these stocks had big runs and then they've come off somewhat, but that doesn't mean it's over. We also own Sherwin-Williams. That's a big play on both new construction and renovations. And they just took price increases up 7%. So where you can do that, I think that means that the stock can continue to perform. Jim, turning to you, you also own Home Depot. I was actually just looking at some recent research from the Farnsworth Group showing that despite uh, vaccines, people who are vaccinated or unvaccinated are still doing do-it-yourself projects at the same rate, which has been a huge part of the Home Depot story and their competitor Lowe's during the pandemic. Do you see those trends continuing as we continue through the recovery? I, I do see them continuing. And, you know, maybe I'll take your word recovery and I'll just I'll reconfigure that to say during the economic expansion that we are still in the early stages of, which is to say you're going to continue to see wages grow and jobs come back. Um, the economy is in very good shape. And that means people are going to be building, you know, additions to their homes. They're going to be renovating. They're going to be repainting. So those stocks should continue to do just fine. I'm not going to get too thrown about what the home builders are doing and, you know, where interest rates are and did we pull forward demand from this year into last year. I don't really care about that. This is a multi-year play on renovations and do-it-yourself. And those two stocks are going to do just fine during the next coming couple of years. All right, taking a look at KB Home, down more than 6%. Turning over to you, Josh, what do you make of the numbers that Diana just laid out and the numbers especially from KB Home? So it's interesting. What we know about the Fed now is that uh, they can both they can crash the market with both too tight rates and too loose rates. Um, so maybe they maybe they ought to consider that when they're going through their dot plot deliberations. More stimulus and and lower rates for longer is not necessarily better for the economy if it produces the kind of sticker shock that stops young people in their tracks from continuing this nascent trend of household formation. So uh, I think we we we've probably reached a limit in terms of home price appreciation that people will just continue to, to buy up. So that might be a good thing. The silver lining there is that more affordability and maybe uh, home sales resume uh, once the price rises, stop getting us out of control. My play here is Leslie's, LESL, $5 billion market cap. Almost nobody knows about the stock. Came public very quietly last November building a nice trend here. I think ultimately this company turns into an incredible cash flow generation uh, annuity stream. We had a record number of pools built last year in 2020, another record being shattered this year in 2021, huge backlogs. And what that means is maintenance. Pools are not the kind of thing like you build a fence and then it just sits there. Once you build a pool, you need servicing, you need chemicals, you need parts, you need toys. You have to keep the pool up. You have no choice. You're not going to pour concrete in it when you get bored of it. 
So I really love this segment of, of the, the home building space. LESL is my name. I think this is something that you can make a long-term hold. All right, Josh. Uh, Leslie, actually flat pretty much year-to-date. Do you see more people building pools? Do you see more people investing in their pools? Where does their growth come from? It's explosive. Backlogs are, are at record levels. Um, and that's, I don't think that's going to reverse. So this is part of the suburbanization of America. Uh, more young people buying homes, more people moving out of the cities. Once they've moved out of the cities, they're not going to turn around and go back just because their jobs open up. So I do think that we're in a secular bull market for spas, pools, hot tubs, etc. And again, once you install them, the maintenance and service costs are guaranteed. Leslie's is the biggest company with the most locations and the biggest presence in these markets. So I think that's the way to play it. All right, Wes, turning to you, I saw you start nodding when Josh said nascent trend. Well, uh, I was nodding at, I'm playing it a different way also. Rather than having exposure to the home building market where price, where it is getting pricey, I'm agnostic. So I own AtCore, which makes the electrical runways, the conduits, uh, both for new construction and remodeling. And when you talk about bottlenecks, they're there, even though they're getting their materials, because they can't handle all the orders. So at 12 times earnings, I prefer that. Also playing through XPO. It's not the only reason I own XPO, but as the largest freight company handling white goods, appliances, they're going to benefit, again, whether it's remodeling or new homes. So that's how I'm playing it. All right. Turning out of FedEx, shares up over 15% this year. The committee will set you up with the trade ahead of its earnings after the bell. Plus, June is Pride Month, and all month long, we're spotlighting CNBC contributors, business leaders, and our own CNBC anchors and producers. Here is CNBC's Shepard Smith. My advice to LGBTQ people coming up is be yourself. Never be afraid of or ashamed of how you feel. And don't let anybody make you afraid. Tell the truth, live your truth, and you be you. And the future is so bright. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update. 751 unmarked graves have been found in Canada at the site of what was once a residential school for Indigenous children. 
It operated from 1899 to 1997, about 85 miles east of Regina. That's the capital of Saskatchewan. Indigenous leaders say that the graves were originally marked, but they think the Roman Catholic Church that operated the school removed the markers at some point. Last month, the remains of 215 children were found buried at the site of another school in British Columbia. Officials say they are still hoping to find survivors in the rubble of a 12-story beachside condo that collapsed overnight near Miami. One person has been confirmed dead so far. Police in Daytona Beach have released body cam video from last night showing a man that they say shot an officer in the head. He is in critical condition after surgery, and there is a $100,000 reward for the suspect. And the New York court has barred Rudy Giuliani from practicing law in the state, citing what it called evidence that Giuliani lied as he promoted theories that Donald Trump lost the election due to widespread voting fraud. Giuliani's representatives say that there should be a full hearing that would vindicate him. You're now up to date. Frank, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thanks a lot. Turning now to FedEx, the company's forecast to see its earnings nearly double in Q4. The global carrier operating in a really elevated e-commerce market that continues to demonstrate strong B2C sales and growing B2B. 2021, it continues to show e-commerce nearly doubling from 2019 numbers and even building from the pandemic peak despite many states reopening and many Americans receiving vaccines. However, FedEx has suffered from an issue with late deliveries recently, over 95 percent on time. That's considered good. Anything lower than that, it weighs on capacity and on margins that are under some pressure by the rise in residential delivery. That's about a third as profitable as B2B. Surcharges on residential delivery, they've been a big part of the revenue and earnings growth over the last year. A new round went into effect this week, adding another test of pricing power and demand for FedEx services. Weiss, turning over to you, you've actually been adding to your FedEx position. Yeah, I added inexplicably the stock traded down to around 280 or so, maybe a little lower, and for no reason in the quiet period, so I bought it. Here's my concern now. My concern is that expectations have gotten extremely high. I think, can think of four firms that have raised their, their target, raised their earnings estimate. If so, if the stock sells off, it'll be another buying opportunity. A story broke in the journal today that they essentially suspended business for 1,400 companies because capacity is so tight. Ergo, the price increases. When capacity tightens, you don't lower prices, you raise them. So I think long-term, this story, and even short-term, is a phenomenal story. I'm happy to be there. It's very cheap stock. So look, I think that targets will go up again after this quarter, but it may be a little squishy given the increased expectations. Yeah, one of those companies raising its price target was Barclays, and they also said that they're seeing a, a big opportunity for favorable forward guidance coming out uh, earnings with the earnings report today. Uh, Carrie, what's your take on this? Do you see favorable forward guidance coming up? And can FedEx maintain this growth that we've seen, this tremendous growth during the pandemic as we enter the reopening, or as, as Farmer Jim calls it, the uh, economic expansion? Well, we're going to learn a lot tonight. So essentially what, what happened for Federal Express was that airlines stopped flying their planes, and that reduced all of the belly capacity for cargo. And between 2019 and 21, sales for Express, that would be the air part of the business, grew 10%, but profits grew 30%. If you looked at sales for ground, the sales were up 
46%, but profits were only up 15%. So enormous pricing power because there was so little available capacity. And now the airlines are flying again. So we're going to find out if FedEx has the ability to raise price with all of this additional supply in the air. You know, I don't know if that's possible. That is a big ask, and I think it's what numbers of the bulls have embedded a belief that they can keep pricing higher. And, you know, I just think it's going to be tough, but maybe demand is so strong they can do it. Jim, uh, before we go, one last take on this. What's your take? Is it going to be driven by those express rates, as Carrie just mentioned, or that continuing growth of residential e-commerce? So I, I think the fundamentals here are the retail experience of buying online. I think that's the biggest driver here. That said, I think the analysis that Kerry just did was wonderful. It was excellent. Uh, people know I'm bullish on aerospace and airline, you, airlines in particular. I just, I just prefer the, mm -hmm. the movement of people to goods right now. Um, but the fundamental driver here, in my opinion, is the continued uh, Internet retail experience. All right. Thanks a lot. All right, we'll ask halftime. That's coming up next. Send in your questions by video. We're going to play them on air. You can email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com. And we're back right after this. And welcome back to Halftime. The Investment Committee is answering your questions. First up, a question for Josh Brown, a video question from Tom in Brooklyn. Hi, my name's Tom from Brooklyn, and my question is for downtown Josh Brown. What do you think about SoFi as a trade? All right, Josh, there Thank it is. Thank you so much for your question, Tom. Yeah, thank you so much for your question, Tom. I really appreciate it. I like SoFi here. I think I like it better as an investment than a trade, only because typically when you're trading, uh, if there's not some sort of catalyst that you can identify in advance, you're going by the technicals. And there aren't any yet here because this thing really didn't de-SPAC until very, very recently. However, as a longer-term investment, I think SoFi is growing much faster than many of their fintech peers and is really building a franchise across so many different verticals within financial services that I really think there's a bright future. So I would look at it more of a long-term holding than a trade right at this moment. Thanks so much for your question. All right, next up, Carrie, a video question for you. This is Rich from Long Beach Island down at the Jersey Shore. My question today is about inflation. With prices surging at the supermarkets and at the gas pumps, if this continues over the next several months, do you feel this eventually catches up and impacts stock prices and the stock market itself? Thanks a lot. So, uh, Rich, thank you for the question. It's such a nice day. Maybe you're out at the beach, but perhaps you're watching on your phone. Uh, we think that inflation is a sign of a strong economy. Some of it's stimulus. But also, this is a strong economy that's generally good for the stock market. What you can do to protect yourself is buy the kinds of companies that can pass on price to their customers. And that includes any subscription models. So we own, for example, Peloton, Netflix, names like PayPal and Visa, which take a percent of the take that their merchants 
uh, get from customers. And Sherwin-Williams, I mentioned, Waste Connection, those are all companies that have been able to build in pricing to their contracts. So it's good for the stock market generally, as long as it's not spiking and staying very high. But excellent question. Thank you, Rich. All right, Weiss, turning over to you. Connor in Akron says, my average buy price on Freeport McMoran is $29.50. As a 22-year-old long-term investor, do I buy the dip or take my 18% profit and run? Well, first, let me give an addendum to, uh, to Josh's uh, answer on SoFi. I agree with his position on lockup expires at the end of this month. So if you are going to buy, may pay to wait. In terms of uh, Freeport, look, Freeport is not a single stock portfolio. So given your age, I think you can wait out cycles. And I think it's got a little more upside near term, not a ton of it. I'd rather see in safe stocks. Having said that, you're going to see a lot more copper going to electric vehicles, and that's really going to drive it. So I own Freeport. It's not a permanent position. Commodities never are. But any dips worth buying at this point. All right. Last question for Jim. Joanne in Connecticut writes, Farmer Jim, I followed you into Viacom CBS and made some money, but the stock is trading sideways. Should I buy more, hold, or cash out and move on? Uh, if anything, I should think you should buy more. Uh, there was a rumor yesterday that Comcast is mulling a bid for Viacom. I don't know if that comes through or not. Right now, that's speculative. But again, I'm going to use this term again. It's the best of both worlds. If they go it alone, they have the mass, the critical mass to do that. They've got 40 million subscribers to Paramount Plus, and they've got 60 million at Pluto TV. If they get acquired, their market cap right now is $27 billion. If Comcast put a modest premium on that, they could easily digest that with $250 billion of market cap. And if not Comcast, somebody else. So either way you win. They go it alone, you're going to do well. Somebody buys them, you're going to do well. I would add to the shares. All right, more trades coming up. Nike to report its earnings after the bell. Shares of the retail giant kind of struggling this year. Committee's take on, on it next when halftime returns. Got a question for the Halftime Investment Committee? If you want to send us a video, we could play it on air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. All right, let's get to Alon Moy with some breaking news out of D.C. Alon? Well, Frank, President Biden says that he has reached a deal with a bipartisan group of senators on a framework for infrastructure. Now, this comes after he met with five Republicans and five Democrats at the White House today to discuss the details. He said that neither side got everything that they wanted. And Senator Rob Portman said that no new taxes are part of this uh, plan, but that uh, it does not include some of the care economy funding that President Biden had wanted. Now, Democrats have been very clear that any bipartisan deal would have to come alongside an agreement on a budget resolution that would allow Democrats to pass the rest of President Biden's agenda without any Republican support. But at least for now, President Biden saying that he has reached a deal with bipartisan senators on a framework for infrastructure. Frank, back over to you. Alon, thank you very much. Uh, big announcement there. Biden reaching at least the framework of this deal. Still waiting to get the final details. Jim, let's turn over to you. Uh, industrials were your pick for the second half of the year. How do you think this plays out for that sector? 
well, I, I think infrastructure is just part of the reason that industrials are going to do well. I mean, the other contributing factors here are supply chain onshoring. I mean, we see how many companies are building multi-billion dollar uh, semiconductor plants here in the U.S. and that continuing economic expansion fed by the Fed and fed by stimulus. Uh, you know, as far as infrastructure goes, I think what's what's different now is we've been talking about this for years, years and years, and we haven't got an infrastructure bill. Now we're talking about what the size of the infrastructure bill is going to be, not whether we're going to get one. So I, I think just all in all, this is bullish for industrials over the coming next two or three years. Weiss, I know you're really bullish on the freight market. Do you see this infrastructure deal as a positive, as a tailwind for that? I do. I also see this tailwind for the aforementioned AtCore. Uh, look, it's going to be spread out over five years. That's good. And the good part about it is it removes some of the burden from the Fed from stimulating the economy, but it's not going to be wildly inflationary. And we're going to keep tax where they are. So this is phenomenal for the market. Mark's absorbed it already. But I like it. And guess what they also both agree on? Broadband. And that's good for the Ericsson's, for the 5G plays I mentioned. So there's nothing bad coming out of this. And hopefully it's a model for the government working together more often in the future. Kerry, any thoughts on this deal, the framework of this deal being in place? But again, we still don't know the final numbers and exactly what details will be in the final version of this bill. It's a necessary bill. I mean, who hasn't been afraid when they're driving over a bridge that it's not going to collapse? We've been hearing about this for 20 years. Uh, we own Wabtec, makes freight cars and rapid transit cars, and it will be good for that sector, which is very important. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Final trades coming up next on Halftime. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Halftime. Nike earnings on deck after the bell today. The stock, it's kind of lagged this year. More than 5%. It's the worst performing stock in the Dow. Josh, I want to turn our attention over to you. I know you're a big fan of the stock, but they have a lot of headwinds. Supply chain issues, uh, China yeah. ramping back up. What's your take? Yeah, I'm not in the name currently. I think that's, I think China is the thing that's been holding the stock back because they have a lot of favorable tailwinds right now. The comps over this time last year obviously are really, really easy, and they're going to put up a huge year-over-year -year growth number, both in terms of earnings, revenue, any metric you want to look at. But I think some of the analysts are citing negative sentiment on uh, social media in China, and they're looking at gross merchandise value on some of the, the online platforms like Tmall, and that's probably what's kept the lid on it. So I guess we'll see what happens uh, with the earnings report tonight. I have no position here, but I'm, I'm a big fan of the company, and hopefully they have a good re result. All right, Weiss, turning over to you. Yeah, I prefer to play it in Academy Sports, which I own, which has been doing great. It's a lot cheaper at about 10, 11 times earnings. If Nike does well, they're going to do well because Nike is a big part of every sporting goods department. But Nike is the leader and, to me, the only player in that space of full athletic wear. Kerry? I think if they give guidance that that's a little bit better than expectations 11 percent sales i think 24 uh, or 25 percent earnings growth for next year if, if the guidance is better i think that it could give a lift to the stock remember this is the name that people go to if they want to buy a large cap consumer discretionary in the entire apparel of brand space so just some good news and you could ignite the spark under nike jim any last thoughts on this yeah, I've owned Nike <laughs> about four times over the 
over the last 10 or 12 years. Um, so I, I kind of have a good feel for when you're supposed to buy this. And I'll tell you, the forward multiple, you want to see that in the mid to high 20s. Right now it's about 34. Uh, to really get a good bang for your buck, wait for the forward multiple to come down around 27 or lower. All right, switching gears to a different kind of gaming. Uh, Moffitt Nathanson making a bullish call on video game stocks. It's one of our calls of the day. Carrie, you previously own Electronic Arts. Yeah, well, these stocks have been great stocks at times. It's been a little flat recently. It needs a catalyst, uh, some new game, something new on the, um, the platforms that have been so popular. So we don't own it. Um, I, I think that it's all about a wait and see about what announcements they come up with over the next you know, couple of months. All right, turning now to the RV market, Winnebago named a fresh pick at Baird. Jim, you also previously owned it. I owned it until earlier this year. The stock in the sector had been on fire. Um, you know, this, is, this was part of the housing play, right? Some people were moving into their homes on wheels. Uh, and in part, it was also millennials looking for experiences. There's no question that the industry and Winnebago did fabulously. But probably some demand from future years was brought forward into this year and last year. So, you know, I don't think it goes down from here, but um, I think it's probably at fair value right now. All right, turning now to the used car market. CarMax set to report earnings tomorrow morning. Shares surging nearly 30% this year. But are we seeing a peak in used cars? Carrie, you own O'Reilly Auto Parts, obviously uh, a support business for people with used cars. Yeah, so um, people are keeping their cars longer, and that's good for the parts business. Um, oh, but CarMax is not that expensive. It's 20 times earnings. I think this is a long runway, the online used car business. You know, if we didn't own O'Reilly, I think we'd be interested in this one. So, you know, I think that for people who own it, I, they're going to have um, they're going to have some good performance out of it. All right, Jim and Josh, turning over to you. Uh, you both own GM. Jim, let's start with you. What's your take on this? Well, part of the reason used cars went up was because of production uh, supply chain shortages uh, in the original, excuse me, in new car manufacturing, the chip shortages. So there weren't that many new cars and people were buying used cars. Also, the rental companies, which normally are sellers of used cars, uh, got flat footed as the economy rapidly expanded. And so they've been holding on to their cars. That's why used car prices have gone up. But now those, those situations, those factors are neutral now. Uh, Ford and GM have pre-announced that production is going up. So I, I, I'm more partial to GM and Ford than I am to anything used car oriented. Josh, quick thoughts? I like it. Long. All right, there we go. Turning now to final trades. Carrie, your final trade? It's Netflix. Uh, the stock multiple has come down as it's underperformed. It was a COVID-friendly stock. As reopening has gone forward, it's come in, but it's still the biggest streamer. The platform is growing. They have pricing power, and we think it's attractive right here. Farmer Jim. Uh, Boeing, let me tell you two catalysts that we're looking for. One is a big order from United on 737 Maxes. The other is a big order from Qatar Airlines on 777 freighters. Those catalysts could come at any point in time. I know people are looking for China. Let's not wait for that. Let's look for those other two catalysts first. All right, Weiss, over to you. Yeah, Josh, strap in because this is going to be your second shock of the show. Facebook, been looking for the breakout, traded to a new all-time high. I think it keeps going, and it's a cheap stock relative to the market, given their growth. All right, Weiss, we've got to cut you off, Josh. Last word. 
Shake Shack up 12% today. Big China expansion plans. Rock and roll. All right, that does it for halftime. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.